Welcome to Uncommonly Good. I'm AJ Ladd and joined always with Mike Reed. This is episode five of our second season um, and talking about just it's a matter of time. So everything's it's a matter of time as well as with our guest speaker we'll have later, Coach Lucas. Yeah, excited to have Coach Lucas on from Hamlin and uh, to listen to him and talk about uh, his coaching path and things he's learned along the way and some really good nuggets and, and things that he does from practice wise to men, you know mentality wise to also some high expectations that they have with their preseason ranking. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think I think when we talk about the topic, it's a matter of time and kind of what that meant to him and, uh, and what it's going to mean to you and what it means to me. It's amazing the power of just the word time. Uh, my wife's never on time. Uh, you know, <laughs> certain kids we have, they're 30 minutes early on oh, time. Yeah. Um, and there's so many things that can be tied into with it. Uh, you know, it's a matter of time. Um, you know, some of the greatest uh, sports moments that will ever go down in the history of sports is always connected to time. Uh, look at um, just off of the docu- Michael Jordan documentary that came up, you know, when Michael Jordan's Game 6 jumper over uh, Brian Russell and in, the, in the 1998 NBA Finals was just down. And he there were other key and Spoiler big shots. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen the game yet. Michael Jordan makes the winning shot. Hopefully everyone's seen that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and for these guys, I mean, uh, there were so many huge and clutch shots throughout the game. I mean, I remember uh, I, I've had to tell kids this all the time in different coaching uh, events and things like that. Like, hey, just because you were the last one to shoot the ball and it didn't go in, you that didn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean it came down to you. Doesn't mean that oh, I was the last out and that's why we lost. Yeah, maybe the no, fight, that's really yeah, not. Yeah, it. maybe maybe something that happened in the second quarter yeah. uh, turned the tide for something for that. It's to, very rare for the last moment in a game that could be a decided to decide it for a win or a loss is really the deciding moment. There's so many other things that go on that you know what I mean? It's very rare yeah, that both absolutely. teams play a perfect game and then it just comes down to Oh well, that was the last place. So that's why they. Won. But you're remembered Very because rare. of time. I mean, you're yes. you're literally because the time ticking down made that such a memorable thing. Christian Leitner's buzzer beater over Kentucky in the 1992 oh, yeah. NCAA tournament. Just because there was such a minuscule amount of time left on the clock for that shot to go down. Uh, Doug Flutie's hail mary over the University of Miami. How many times has Adam Vinatieri walked out there and, oh, and, yeah. and made three seconds and, left on the clock and makes the game-winning field goal? But because time it's just a matter of time we use time to really define some things and I, I want to get into some things that we do as business owners as coaches that we really really test test some things but before we get into that uh, what do you got today I'm excited to kind of oh, hear, so, uh, hear I some wanted to talk about um this week in history so it's a it's a holiday that I will be honest because I'm a history teacher so most of y'all should learn this in seventh grade Texas history if you did not then Sorry, and boo-boo on them, but it is uh, Juneteenth. So Juneteenth, that is celebrated on June 19th, um, and that has that is celebrating the emancipation of the remaining enslaved African Americans in the Confederacy. And it actually it ended up, it originated in Texas, okay, as the, um, the actual event and the celebration. We're one of four states. It is us, New York, Pennsylvania, and Virginia are the only four states that it is a state holiday that when employees who are off you still get paid for that day just like a federal holiday we're the only four states it's celebrated by 47 of the 50 states but only four of them do it there's a big push for it to be a federal holiday right. um but so it has to do with that um it commemorates the union army general gordon granger announcing federal order number three in galveston texas at ashton villa which uh that's actually still there i've seen it we go by it every time we go to galveston if you ever get to the coast. Yes. And so, um, but where he goes, he announces it and that the slaves there that are in Texas, they're free now um, and changing there. And a lot of people, they think that Juneteenth celebrates the ending of all slavery. That didn't happen until the 13th Amendment, which is December 6th, 1865. Right. But that ended slavery nationwide. But um, it's a really big holiday, especially in Texas. Um, there's lots of local parades, rodeos, festivals, um, and just a gathering of whether it's speakers or readings of different parts of African American history, but it's just it's a really cool and unique holiday that we have. Well, you know, one of my favorite shows was always on uh, Jay Walking with Jay Leno. Oh yeah, and uh, 
And so they would sit there, and, and there's been some a lot of different people that have branched off and done some of these things. And I wonder how many people, that if you truly went up and said, hey, we're, what, is, what is this holiday? Uh, I wonder what percentage of people could be able to tell you to the to the uh, to where we're at right now with the Black Lives Matters push of of being able to understand what that social justice is and and racism and so forth and just that separation and the battles that we fought back then that that are now which goes back into what we're talking about it's a matter of time but look at how much time has passed from that from that, that happening moment from that now. moment. To now, we're still fighting the same inequalities. We're still fighting this a lot of the same issues. We are. Um, but uh, bringing it to the forefront now, my kids would probably be able more to tell you what to, to, today's going on rather than maybe what that you know what yeah. the holiday was yesterday. And so you know, as a country, um, you know, as educators and and as people in our own homes of teaching our own kids some things. Um, you know, we we all have to do a better job on that part. Yes, that's for sure. Uh, so on our current events, something else that's having to go with the power of time. You know, uh, baseball for me, this is getting really, really frustrating because I just, you know, it's going, going, gone. Yeah. Um. So the MLB, they uh, last week made a proposal of they proposed a sixty-game season. And they were going to make, they'll expand the playoffs, put more teams in the playoffs, more playoff games, more playoff baseball, be interesting to watch. Um, but there's a big but on this. You can't file any grievances over, um, I would be assuming, whether it's pay or going into arbitration or anything else. All has to do with contracts. Right. You can't file any grievances in that 60-game proposal. So the players countered with a 70-game one, um, leave the playoffs the same, but we can file a grievance. Yeah. And MLB said, no, we're not even going to look at it, and so this is what we're going to do. And so now the players are faced with one of two options. You either, all right, we'll take the 60 games, we get extra teams, maybe my team gets in, we get hot, we win, and hey, we get a championship. Awesome. But you can't file any grievances. You can't say you hit out of this world. You can't file a grievance for arbitration to go, well, look at what I did in 60 games. Guys who do that in 60 games get paid this much money. You can't do any of that stuff. So you either do that or you reject it and you force Rob Manfred, the commissioner, to make the schedule and to do everything because he does have the power to do that. They already gave him that power when all this started. But this is also the dude who recently just went on and he put out of, well, I hold the future of baseball in my hands. It's what I want to say goes. So they're really kind of stuck in a rock and a hard place. So I don't know. I don't see them doing either one. Well, and... This this is just where I'm at a little bit with where we're at on the COVID situation. We we know this w- without a doubt that if you locked up every person in the entire planet, okay, you locked them all up. Okay. And once you locked them up, you let one person with COVID out. So everybody's locked up except for one individual, right? Okay. The minute that one individual walks out, and by themselves all around, you let the second person out. You you could let's say five years later, but that person still has COVID, and you let one person out of the whole world. What's going to happen? Oh yeah, that person's going to get it. Get it. The second person gets let out, and then we're starting all back over. So the fact that to me it's just still frustrating that we are sitting here holding back. Thinking that this is going to go away well, and it's not, when I it's mean, not going to go away. There's been multiple players of on multiple MLB teams that have tested positive for it. They're actually they shut down all the spring training facilities yesterday to do quotations deep cleaning and to do that. But we've seen, I mean, all the guys at Clemson yeah. that have caught it, all the dudes at yeah, UT there's, who there's, have tested yeah, there's positive. Yeah, there's 23 players. There's or thir- 32 30, at Clemson. Yeah, 32 and at Clemson and 13, 13 at Texas. At Texas. All, all have it, and, and none are hospitalized. No. Um, and and all of them are continuing to move forward. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, for me, this is where I'm, I'm frustrated with the political side of things. I think that they've all sat there and said, hey, we got to cover our rears, so we're going to at least kind of do the, you know, this so we cover our rears. But they're trying to play both sides of the political party. They're trying to make this side happy, then they're trying to still make this side happy, and and they're right. just, and they're, they're playing, standing in that they're middle of the road. Jump rope, 
right now. They're trying to they're trying to please both sides. Yeah. Um, instead of just stand in a direction in a political ground of where they're at and 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 staying in that lane. Well, and kind of on the same deal, uh, talking about NBA relaunching, where uh, if, I don't know if y'all have seen all this stuff with Kyrie Irving, of where, which still blows my mind, of because he came out with the statement of I'm not going to go to Orlando and play. Well, Kyrie Irving's on injured reserve right now for having shoulder surgery, right. so he's not playing anyways. But I do at least give him props for of he's trying to stand up for social justices. I do understand that part, so I don't fault him on that. But he called over a hundred dudes of saying, "I don't know that we should play or not." Well, they've ended up. They're going to move forward. They're going to end up playing now, um, and so getting into so how are they going to be able to play and stay healthy? Right. Well, so the NBA has given them a bunch of different technology relaunch tech to use. Uh, one of them I was telling you about. It's that uh, Disney Magic Band uh-huh. is a bracelet, and so that's for them of for them to get in, go through checkpoints, get in and out of the hotels, in and out of the gyms and all that, they have to have that on. But the other one is the uh, the smart ring. So I'm going to kind of jump in on your gadgets on yeah, here. Yeah, you good. So this smart ring um, from Apple, it's 300 to 400 bucks if you want to buy one. They do sell them to normal people. But for the NBA players, they can wear one or not. But it supposedly can predict symptoms of COVID-19 three days in advance with 90% accuracy. And that it does that through measuring body temp, respiratory function, and heart rate, and seeing the changes and going on. And I'm guessing they have an algorithm that they use then once they get that data to go, oh, this person's fixing to get it. And so they're able to take that step early. Um, But uh, (laughs) I just think, though, it's a little funny. Well, if that's what it's for, that they can pick or choose not to wear it. Because one player in particular, Kyle Kuzma, has already said he's not going to wear it. And it has nothing to do with COVID. It has to do with the fact that he goes, it's a tracking device. And all they want to do is keep up with where we are at all times. And I don't want that. Which is fine by me. Yeah. If that's what you want. I don't want to be tracked either. But like we were talking about, they have to be there for seven weeks. And for that seven weeks, they can't. Well, yeah. I mean, for, they can't do anything but play no, basketball. Yeah. No family can come visit them. Yeah. No guests. And and I don't know about you guys and, and your knowledge of when uh, NBA players a lot of times travel. Uh, they do enjoy their guests. Yeah, professional uh, athletes in general, <laughs> they don't like to sit in a hotel room by themselves. And so, uh, no guests. I mean, nothing. And yeah. it, everybody's cooking there. It, it is a literal resort of foods there. Everything's being checked when it comes in. It's being cooked there, being delivered to you. I mean, you will do nothing but play basketball for seven weeks. And these guys, you know, of course, you know, the, the back take on that is if you were in the military, uh, and, and which they want to know why people get frustrated over, uh, you know, kneel, kneeling during the national anthem, which to me, I, I still cannot decide why they are, it comes down to still picking the, the national anthem to do that. I, I'm still frustrated that Drew Brees had to say what he said. And then, because that's just how he was feeling of the disrespect of the national anthem. Not that he did not have sensitivities to that. And even though uh, LeBron James is calling him out for not being sensitive, that it has nothing to do with the national anthem. Well, it actually does, at that point, have something to do with it. Because that's when you chose to do it, during the singing of that song. You know, I, I for me, I wish the NBA and the NFL, if they're going to do something to stand out, I wish that they would do something in the sense of, okay, we're gonna we're gonna have this this segmented time on the, uh, you know, before the game or at halftime of the game to keep the awareness. We're all about the awareness of it. We're all about helping, uh, you know, bring awareness and 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 well, correct I, I it. I will say though, too, I do. Not that they're going to get away from the national anthem, but I do think what they'll end up doing is you will see more things, whether it's after the game, at halftime, or part of the pregame ceremony, right? As far as, hey, all of a sudden, that, you know, instead of on warm ups, they're not just going to have the. You know the dude, the sportscasters right. talking. There'll there'll be a demonstration. Yeah, there'll I'm, be something else Yeah, I'm else perfectly done. fine with that. I, I I do think you will see them expand more and more from that as it continues to grow. The movement continues to grow. I just think that that's just where it started because with where they were with the NFL of that was the only time they were going to have the freedom to do it. Like we've talked about before, the NFL is the strictest yeah. pro sports league. Yes. And that exists. You can't wear different cleats without being fine. Different a headband. I mean, Correct. you know. So they are very strict. So I think that's where they saw 
that's our well, only I would like, opportunity. For me personally, I, I would like their movement they will, they to get off of that. Grow. I think they and I think they'll be able to grow and branch out. But I will tell you, they're all gonna. It's the first four. I weeks, know, but they, every I, single one of. I'm just saying they're yeah. gonna do it, which is, you know, that's fine with me. Of, but I think that they'll move forward and go. Hey, let's grow it and continue to bring. But this out. is where, with these NBA players being locked up for seven weeks, and 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 then not locked up, but you know, in in this, uh, you know, court in this uh, resort type place of being being there, being and they're sitting there saying, "Man, we weeks. can't have family for seven weeks. We can't have that." Even though they've been with their families for three months now, yeah. Uh, think about the military who goes and goes overseas for three months at a time, yeah. and they have no family. They they have no guests. They you yeah. know They they have nothing. They're lucky if they're able to get a sat phone to make a phone call home. And and so they want to know why you know that the military sometimes gets frustrated with. Uh, you know, professional athletes sitting here saying, hey, you know... Because what the uh, military does is such a thankless job and not even just a thankless job that it's something we don't think about at all anymore. Yeah. People don't think about that. They're just... You see a guy and you're... Oh, hey, he's got his United States but, Marine gear on. Like, hey, thank you for your service. And then, just being honest, most people then... They tell them and... Hey, like out of sight, out of mind. But they don't realize if pro athletes don't figure out some way to do it, they're not going to get paid. I mean, it's it's if I don't show up to work, right. I'm not going to get paid. I have a, I have been handed a urgent news bulletin from my wife, so she just brought well, this to my attention, and I didn't know this was out there. Well, and the reason he doesn't know it's out there because he doesn't use his social media like I do. I'm on it all the time looking at stuff. That's true. So, so <laughs> last week. Um, well, and I'll tell you, so last week we went and watched the high school rodeo finals to watch one of our oh, kids yes. rope. Well, the whole way over there, AT&T wasn't working. And I was getting mad, like... Like furious, whole, like, like ready to throw her phone the out, whole the, way. out the truck. And so, cell phones really weren't working, not just AT&T, but all around weren't working. So then it got on this week, and if you actually... And I have an iPhone, and, or we have iPhones, I should say. So if you go in on your settings, and you go to privacy, and you look up health, they have now put a COVID-19 exposure logging That's on correct. your phone. Yes. Right? So you can turn it on or off. It just depends. But it does say that uh, they can't access your data in or, or add any data to it. But at the same point, like, it's basically using your location to say, are you in a hot spot for it? Yes. Or not? Yeah. He had no idea yeah. about it until I was and just And it like, comes down to the same thing, though. Of they're tracking you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so yesterday I go to Lone Star Horse Racing's uh, yesterday and I'm sitting there and uh, their police officers walking through and he's making sure that uh, it's mandatory in Dallas to have your mask yeah, on. That and so started forth. at uh, midnight on Thursday or Friday morning. Well, the guy at the door when he came in said, "Hey, this starts tomorrow." But then the Dallas police officer came in and said, "It's going on right now," which nobody. Wait, so when that yeah. happens, you go. All right, dude, can I have a mask? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody was uh, was fighting it and arguing it, but I guarantee you uh, my red dot from AT&T settings on my phone says I was probably in a hot spot because there oh, yeah. was probably about 300 people there at the horse races. Yeah, but that's, I mean, and that's it's kind of everywhere. Like you see, I mean, kind of like you said, it, they're making it so much accessible to everybody right now so that they can see where COVID, COVID, just like... Stephenville, I mean, they're mm-hmm. constantly posting every day, it seems like. Yeah. Just going, and we're like, we, we understand now. Like, we do get it's a virus. Like, yeah. you know, we do need to be kind and conscious of others that, you know, if we need to wear a mask, we need to wear a mask. Yeah. You know, and protective. Well, I just don't know where along the way we, you know, it's lost its sense. You know, we talk about free speech. We talk about some, you know, the freedom of this. And at some, at what point are our liberties starting to be taken away over our ability to uh, put food on our table, our ability to um, uh, raise our kids. Um, and then we'll talk here in a little oh. bit about the expectation of the educational system. I mean, at this time, if, if the expectation if school was to start today, which is literally for some schools, is actually going to be starting in six weeks. Um, and so, well, maybe less, five weeks. Well, about, yeah, five weeks, six to five weeks. Six weeks. Six weeks. And so the expectation right now is, hey, you're going to start school, and within five days of starting school, if somebody has it, hey, you already have to provide in-class instruction and online instruction for the same lesson. Then that kid, oh, hey, and by the way, the kid that picks online instruction at his house, hey, he's going to be held uh, 
for a star and into course testing, he's going to have yeah, to... Yeah, he has all the same expectations yeah. just as a student sitting in your desk in and your room. You, and you will have to provide dyslexia, special education, yeah, all, uh, all, that, all the accommodations of that. Oh, and but by the way, somebody was in English classroom 101 and got tested for COVID, so we have to... In Ms. school, Ms. we have Ms. to in school for the be happy that you said her room number. So, so we have to we have to end school for the whole day. Yeah. Like, I mean, they'll sit, they'll end it, they'll cancel school. Yep. They have to call the janitors, run the buses, call the parents, yeah. uh, call the parents that are at work that we're sending people home. There's a case of it right now. We got to track what classes they're in. Once you track what classes they're in, then we have to make sure that everybody in those parents are notified, which yeah. is probably going to take three to four days to notify all the parents, track where they're at, and then. Okay, they're all going to be quarantined quarantined and isolated. Yeah, isolated for their 14 days. And then unpause, everybody can come back. So now we have to notify all the people who, half the time, we know that when we try to reach out to parents and get information out there, half the time they go, "Uh, We didn't know, we didn't hear, even though you have five different means to reach parents. And so so literally in six weeks, that's the expectation. And oh, and by the way, we're going to play a contact sport where mouthpieces and slobber is going to be going around, um, and we're going to be doing it. If we do not change, if if our top politicians do not sit there and say, this is is going to stop. The free will of the people has got to go. We now know that when... They've they've taken that will away from us. I mean, they've they've taken our oh, our our I'm will sorry. to, I to have were, I thought to you have were calling for them to do that. I was like, no. all right, Stalin. No, I mean they, they they've taken our rights away from us yes. in, in what in where we want to go. And now that we are aware of what it is, now that when I mean you haven't even turned the TV on and said, hey, we're out of respirators. I mean, we're out of uh, you know these things are happening. I mean. The hospitals might be overrun with people coming in getting tested, yes, but we're not hearing anything about people no, being induced no, into comas now and, yeah, and respirators put hospitals on. Hospitals that are out of beds and Correct. respirators, gloves, masks, that's that's not going on. So they keep anymore. saying the data that the, that the number is tripling, but yet we haven't heard nothing from the hospitals. Yeah. We've heard... and uh, and. And so for me, kind of moving forward off that, you know, that's just where I'm at on, on that. Something that I do want to talk about and staying with, because it is a matter of time. It is a matter of time before we uh, pick athletics back up, school back up, and normalcy comes. It is a matter of time. Well, for us, we're just waiting until 4.30 today. <laughs> yes, because we're going to go to <laughs> a go COVID hotspot yeah, and gonna we're going to go game. watch a baseball game. Um one of the things that I that in in looking up what a matter of time was is the power of time uh, in practices and in athletics. Okay, um, so I'm with you because I was thinking about this earlier in the shower. Of if you talk to a coach and you want to for them to find out how to get better, the first thing they go, "How do we get better?" Mm-hmm. The first thing the guy, the whoever they ask that question to, is going to go, "Well, what are your practices like?" Yeah, that's the first question. Well, and so. In in doing research, um, time is now being uh, connected to what reality and expectations are, which we've talked about some yes. things. So your sensory uh, part of your brain, when that starts being introduced to time and some things that were brought into time, the brain starts relying on predictions of what that future plan's actions is based on. So what I mean by that is if you tell somebody to do a task that brain is sitting there saying, oh, here is the future result of what's going to happen because my brain has told me that this is the time that I have to be able to get something done. So you mean like when, for example, I get my wife goes, hey, you need to do the dishes. Yes. And then I know, I got five to ten minutes, I can still sit here, but in that window, I need to go do the dishes because if I don't, this is what's going to happen. Yes. But if I go ahead and go do it, this is what happened. This is yes. worth time to Yeah, absolutely. I, I just want to make sure so, we're all on the same page. Yeah. And so um, in using that in athletics and in using that also in the business world, but we'll stay on the athletics part here for a sec. You know, when predictions are wrong um, and the brain predicts that, hey, in this amount of time I can hit a target ten times uh, and then all of a sudden 
it knows in one minute I can hit this target 10 times because my brain is going to predict when I'm told to do something in a certain amount of time, that prediction, right? Okay. My brain is is going to know through past experiences what time has allowed me to do. So if it doesn't have that, if a brain doesn't have that that time-based stuff because there was no past in it, then it's, it's open-ended. But most time, time is based off past experiences. Yeah. Okay. All right. So... You know, lad, you got to hit this target 10 times in one minute. So you do it and you hit uh, that target 10 times, but it took you two minutes. So now I tell you, okay, lad, hey, you now have three minutes to hit that target in 10 times. I'm going to add time to it. Well, you're now going to do what as a person? I'm probably going to relax. Oh, I got plenty of time. Yeah, I'm going to. I can. That's easy money. I I can do that. Yeah, I'm going to relax. But now what's going to happen is, okay. We're talking about some of the greatest shots. We're t- we talked so about the Michael sta- Jordan. The sta- the we talked about Adam. Vin- yeah, we talked about Adam Vinatieri. We yeah. talked about these guys, and now we're connecting what time is uh, to the brain. To the brain, and it's a matter of time whether you're going to uh, prepare yourself to succeed or a matter of time whether you're going to prepare yourself to fail. And as coaches, we sit there a lot of times, and the only time that uh, that um, we the kids get pressured is on Friday on a game day because now we've added a time we've added time we've added time to the to to where they have to get something done hey you add a play clock in football um you add a you know the a a the pitcher only has so much time to warm up or only yeah. has so much time to get on the mound to get his throw in like time starts being added to added to games so what happens is and and John Wooden's one of my greatest ones and and why he talks about uh having no peaks and no valleys because the predictions of survival are going to be greater if the more past experience you give yourself. So so the more times you sit there and say, "Hey, I got to give my brain the absolute most data to pull from when being asked to do a pressure situation." I have to have more what? You have to have more life experiences. More, yeah. I have to have, you have more, more experience. You have right. to have more of that. Yeah. So, so you know, Michael yeah. Michael Jordan's quote of how many times he's taken the game winning yeah, shot. The game winning, the, yeah. And how I've many times he's with this, this yeah. many times and lost. I've done this and missed. I've done this and this has happened. And, so he's yeah. he's had those experiences for his brain to come in to do that. But I assure you, the same thing in his practices. How many times as a little kid do you sit out there and dribble the ball and go, three, two, one, shot, oh. As a little kid, I did that yesterday. Yes, <laughs> and I got fouled, and yes. I'm going to reshoot oh, again. I missed oh, I fouled. Let's go again. Take ten. Right. Let's try this again. Um, so for me, adding, um, you know, cre- creating those predictors for our brain is so important for, for me in creating a practice plan that does that. If we're going to ask our kids on a Friday night or a Tuesday basketball game or in any environment, sports environment where a clock is added to it, we have to create a practice that is a, that enables that enables that kid to pull that data from experiences in to get that done. And the only way to do it is to add what? Add the time. Yeah, and if you don't it's going to be a matter of time before you see failure or or success. It, it's going to, it's going to happen. Yep. I got you. That was um, one thing of talking with Coach Oliver yesterday about baseball. Of like, I think we needed I needed to put him on a time. Hey, I'm going to show you how to do it, and you have this much time to get either field this many ground balls, catch this many fly balls, get this many swings, and if y'all don't get there, this is what happens. Yep. Because we've seen that in the practice. It's amazing when you go. If we can't do this this many times, or hey, if we mess this part of the drill up, you have a punish, a lap, five push-ups, whatever. It's amazing how many times we tell them that, and we never mess up. Right. But before we tell them that, we're barely 50%. Well, so so uh, Yale School of Medicine wound up getting a U.S. Army, Army group, took a controlled group of 30 people and a POW-type uh, group, of 30 people. The controlled group they kept in a, in a laxed environment, super laid back, showed them all these performance things that they were going to be asked to do. Okay. Now, they performed good uh, with with no stress. So they... they, they so no they, time. They, yeah, no time. They, they, uh, they performed good and they were a good group of 30 people. 
the POWs came in and they were treated uh, just like they were in the POW stuff. They they uh, were doing torture type stuff to them, really putting them in super high stressful oh. situations. And then they made them perform with no stress. So they came right on in and out of that stressful situation and they said, hey, now I want you to perform kind of like what I just said. I'm actually going to add time to something. Right. Like, no stress. Like, hey, you got this. Those guys absolutely scored off the charts. Wow. Then they added the stressful situation of, okay, now we got our control group. Now we're going to add time to them. Now we're going to add a stressful situation to that group. To the Yale Medicine group. Yep. And then all of a sudden, test results, uh, accuracy of what they were able to do was was lowered. The group that was uh, put in a high stressful situation then got added time, even added to it, and they continued to score as high as they did, even with no stress. So we have to be able as coaches to create that stress. If you're a business person and we talk about doing, fire, you know, we got to do fire drills in our school and we have to practice a. Uh, uh, these type of events if they happen, active, uh, active shooter, and and we have to practice Tornadoes, these things. Earthquakes, yeah. And so to be able to just always do that under no stress, well, when what's going to happen when stress finally does you know does hit? I mean, we you can sit there and talk about freeze. hey, here's your here's your exits, here's all your exits. But as soon as somebody yells bomb, uh, then all heck breaks loose. You know, being able to handle that and perform that in in that is only going to yield in a matter of time great results. That's why I'm excited about who we have that's going to be on today. Coach Lucas is a Hall of Famer. He is, without a doubt, a guy who can communicate with the 6A to the Class A coaches. He's on the uh, t- talked at the leadership for the Texas yep. High School uh, Coaches Association. Um, he's one of the most Christian men you'll ever meet and, and leads by his uh, faith. Uh, does not just speak it. He, he lives by his actions as well. And So we're super excited to, to be able to have him on. All right, we're really excited for our guest speaker today is Coach Lucas uh, Hamlin, the Pied Pipers. Coach Lucas, really pumped to have you on. You just uh, tell us a little bit about you, your family, where you grew up, where you're from. Yeah, um, I was born and raised in Merkle, Texas. My my grandparents were born and raised in Merkle, Texas, on both sides of my family. So we were long-time Taylor County residents, as was my wife. Uh, she was born and raised there. Her parents were born and raised uh, in Taylor County, so... Uh, we've known each other our whole lives. Uh, we started dating when I was a freshman in high school, and we dated for nine years. Takes a long time to train them, doesn't it, Coach Lucas? I mean, I, I, you're a smart man for having to get them at such an early age. I was the same way. I, I dated my wife when she was a freshman in high school, and I tell people all the time, it takes a long time to, to, tra- to, train, to train them. Yeah, she might, mm. she might differ, differer with you on that. It might be the other yeah. way around. But, so this will work out uh, well for you. Yeah, so we we went to ACU, got married. Uh, we had three boys. Uh, my oldest son's Tyler's the athletic trainer at Evelyn Cooper. My middle son Ryan coaches with us here in Hamlin. My youngest son Tucker, he uh, lives over in Abilene and works for Funeral Directors Life Insurance. And then we have a bonus child. We have a young man that uh, lost both of his parents when he was in high school, same age as my youngest son, and he moved in with us and has been with us ever since. Um, he, he has a job down in Belton. He still comes home on the weekends or, or you know Christmas and Thanksgiving that kind of stuff comes to us. So we are we are his family and he is ours. So is we he have four a, boys living life. Is he into coaching down there at Belton or is he doing something else? No, okay. he's uh, he's way smarter than that. He's uh, he's a computer. Um, I actually don't know what he does. He can start talking about it. I just smile <laughs> like I know, but I don't. Uh, he he he's uh, he's got a really good job down there. Yeah. Uh, um, so when say like if y'all are all together you know on Thanksgiving got all the boys family there what's uh what's you got a corny dad joke that you like to tell to get a get a laugh out of them or an eye roll yeah they uh, that's not hard for me to do because usually they roll their eyes anyway but <laughs> you know like um, uh, what what do sprinters eat for breakfast what do sprinters uh, eat no, for breakfast nothing because they fast <laughs> oh yeah that's a good one that is a good one <laughs> All right, uh, which uh, which is faster, hot or cold? Hot's always faster. Yeah, because you can catch a cold. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad. Good one. I have to, I have to use that one. Uh, what do you call a man who can't stand up or sit down? Oh, I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. 
Neil. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Co- all right, Coach Lucas. We got a part here. This is the hot seat, and it's called the five second rule game. So I'm going to ask you a question. You got five seconds to uh, answer the question. Um, the the punishment's very very severe, and it'll happen when you least expect it if you don't do good. So uh, uh, no pressure, uh, and don't and don't look behind you the whole time you're uh, you're talking. I mean, look look straight ahead. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna kind of put you on the hot seat. And uh, so I'm going to ask a question. Got five seconds to answer it. We're going to start with this. What are three things in your coach's desk? Uh, A trophy, a whistle, and a picture. Oh, point. Got a point. Good job. What are your favorite three movies? Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Brave Heart, and probably Christmas Vacation. Attaboy. All right. Another point. What are your favorite three games you've coached? Uh, specific games or sports? Uh, specific games. Uh, the state championship game uh, this past year, the semifinal game this year, and then probably our very first district championship here in Hamlin. Oh, that was time. No point, but great job. We like that, but no yeah. point. Um, what are the best high school athletes, three best high school athletes you've ever seen in person? that I've ever seen in person. Uh, probably uh, the great kid from Alito, mm-hmm. um, Colt McCoy, and uh, gosh, Austin Lozano. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I would not have yeah, yeah. thought of that one. That's good. No point, even though great answer, no yeah. point. All right, you're at the 50-50 mark, okay? So oh, no. You can, and, and we're going to end on this one. So it's either going to be punishment or no punishment. Here we go. What are your three favorite soft drinks? Uh, Coke Zero, Dr. Pepper, and um, Mountain Dew, Diet Mountain Dew. Oh, hey, 4.97 seconds. Great job. I mean, if you're going to do it, uh, you know, do it right. All right, Coach, We there's some things, and obviously, um, you know, I, I've watched you from afar as, as just a huge fan and some things like that. You know, I, I want you to tell me what you feel like time has taught you the most in coaching. You know, obviously the topic of this uh, thing is, um, you know, time, and, and, and so what has that taught you the most in coaching? Well, I was really impatient when I first started coaching, and, and as I've gone through my career – one thing I've learned is you just don't – you can't give up on kids because I've had some kids as seventh graders that were, were not very talented. And we've had some teams as seventh and eighth graders that weren't very talented. But by the time they got to high school, uh, had gelled into a good team, and some of those kids have grown up and become really good athletes. So uh, I would say just be, be patient with, with the people around you and let them develop and, and don't give up on, on kids. Because uh, you start underestimating them, and, and uh, every year we have kids that surprise us that turn into something that uh, they didn't think they could do, and maybe even we didn't think they could do, but just kept working with them, and then they, they just developed. So patience is probably one thing. you have a specific kid that uh, wound up uh, improving through a story of, oh, my gosh, he was so bad, uh, I had to help him put his pads and his football pants to maybe something that he ended up making an impact play in a game? Yeah, I mean we we've had we've had several of those kids, you know that uh, this Lozano kid that we coached this year that signed with uh, ACU, you know he's a Division One football kid, and he came as a seventh grader. He was pudgy and slow, and didn't wasn't very motivated, and just drug his feet everywhere he walked. And you know we weren't sure he was going to make it to the eighth grade, much less to varsity football. And uh, you know he was he's one of the best players I've ever coached. And um, you know it, you just can't give up on those kids. And we've had those same teams. We've had teams that didn't win a game in junior high and then play to the quarterfinals their senior year. Awesome. You know, so. now, um, what about, so, in your personal life, you know, what do you feel like time has taught you in your personal life or just over time that you have, have realized and changed or not changed? Yeah. Well, for me, the thing is I look back on my life, I, I have to be really careful about judging situations you know I, I one thing that i remember about middle of my career i'd been in about 12 or 15 years i got rift in the summer where i had a, they had a call school board meeting they were going to cut because of the school finances they're in trouble i got i lost my job in june 
and, and I was devastated. I mean, I was crushed and um, had to scramble to find a job. My wife was staying at home at that time raising our babies. So, I mean, we were fixing to have no income. And, and I, well, I was bitter at the school district. I was upset at a lot of people and, and, and just a really dark time in my life. And But now from where I'm at now, I look back on that, and, and that propelled me forward. It caused me to get out of a comfortable place I was at and, and to grow and to, um, you know, here I'm in Hamlin now and enjoying all the success we've had. Uh, I've gained two daughter-in-laws here, and you know, I start thinking about that. What if I would have selfishly wanted to stay there? I'm, some of these people might not be in my life that I have now. Some of the circumstances that we've enjoyed might not have happened. So, uh, you know, just don't get caught up in what's going on because we're all going to have ups and downs in our lives. But it's amazing how sometimes how those work out always for the best. One of the things that sticks out for me, and and I'm gonna tell this story a little bit, Coach Lucas, before before I ask my question because the story is is leading into into the question. Um, when I was in Throckmorton, and I, I called you and and Coach Corcoran at Monday because we were gonna play Winthorst and and a half six man game, half half non six man game, and uh, I was like, man, I just you know obviously don't know where to start. Uh, so I'm going to call you and, and of course you were just open door and hey, come on over. And so we come on over, we sit down, we have, uh, have the meeting with you. And when the meeting's done, you said, Hey guys, uh, y'all come over to my house, which you invited my staff, which in a six man world is uh, two guys, yeah. by the way, me, me, me and me and Blaine. And, uh, so you said, Hey, uh, let your staff come on over. And your wife had the biggest bowl of spaghetti out on the middle of this table and like she was trying to feed uh, a staff of about 15 um i've never felt more pressure to eat an entire bowl of spaghetti and bread in my life because of how nice and grateful you were you don't want to be the guy that turns down free food from someone who just gave you free help she looks she looks over at you and at that time you're like hey guys uh, y'all y'all mind if we pray and I'm like, oh no, I really need to pray right now because I am going to try to find some Dear stuff. Dear Lord, give me strength right now and extra room in my stomach, please. I remember. And uh, oh. I just want to know how from you, I just want you to know whether you think people do it or don't do it. I have really been impressed with how in, in even in my own personal life, how I make every excuse to not make time for God, you have made it a priority in your life to to do that. And I want to know how you do that with time. I mean, with the time of uh, uh, that you have. Well, I, I think the word you're using there is, is the right word, and that's priority. You know, it ha- it has to be a priority. And, and here's a, here's an example I give guys when I talk to other people about this. I talk, you know, especially when I'm talking to coaches. If if I ask you, if I ask you right now, if you're 11 man coach and you're going into your game on Friday night, you guys have a plan for trips. How you gonna line up the trips? Yeah, you're gonna have a plan. You're not. You're not. That's not. You're not gonna leave that to accident. But maybe they won't come out in trips. We'll just. We won't have a plan. Or how are we gonna come out? How are we gonna line up if they line up and double tie? Well, we're going to have a plan. And so I think you have to be intentional. I think you have to – it's got to be a priority. And so, like, in my life, I, I just get up earlier. I wake up whatever time I'm supposed to, you know, be at work. I get up early enough that I'm going to be able to take my shower, make my coffee. I'm going to read my Bible every morning. I'm going to have spend a little time in prayer and kind of get my day going right. Um, you know, my wife's a huge – um, driving factor in that, you know, she holds me accountable uh, at times, you know, and, and we're going to pray before every meal. Doesn't matter if we're in a restaurant, we can be with our whole staff at coaching school at, at uh, you know, downtown San Antonio on the Riverwalk, and we're going to gather up and hold hands and pray before we eat. And that's not that's not a show for people around us. That's just what we do. No, it's not so a show. I, you know, it, it, and that's what I was trying to get at. You know, it it wasn't a show. You know, I, and I think from a guy who sat back from afar. Um, and, and have watched you, you know, obviously from rural Texas to Throckmorton, Texas to Hamilton to even now, you know, to sit back and watch. It's probably been one of your uh, most uh, consistent traits. And, uh, yeah, there was nothing – there's there's nothing that I've ever felt like has been a show. And it's it's and as a role model, it, it's been something that I've been super, superly impressed with by you and, and, and commend you for. Well, thank you. Uh so how for you have you managed to you know being a small school coach, but yet y'all have obviously y'all are y'all have risen up to the very top as far as athletics and everything goes. Uh, how, how have you been able to do that? Is there do you have just what drives you there, and how have you been successful that way? 
Well, a lot of that's to me just expectation. You know, um, I, I've never been, I, I'm not a city guy. Grew up in rural West Texas and that's where, I, where I'm comfortable. I love the kids that we have out here. You know, most, most of our kids are poverty top kids that, that, that need, that need a push. And, and, um, I just think if we, we set a standard and, and hold them to that standard and, and I'm going to tell you our staff, we coach our kids hard. We, 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 uh, we're after them and, and their parents know that. And that's one good thing about living in West Texas. Our parents expect that from them. And so I think it's all about setting a standard, but, but a lot of people put things out there, put things up there that they want to try to achieve. But then the, the difficult part is following through with that. You know, what are your, what are your checkpoints? Are, are we meeting those standards? Are we holding those kids to that standard? Because it's easy to set standards. It's hard. It's difficult to hold people because there's going to be some conflict. There's going to be conflict with kids. There's going to be conflict right. with parents. And, and, it, and if you're, if you have the same standard all the time and you're consistent in your application of that, then people begin to trust you. And I think that's where I'm at now in Hamlin. I mean, I'm always going, I don't do everything right. And there's always going to be people disagree with me, but, but for the most part, I feel like our parents trust me with their kids and our staff. And when you have that trust and those kids know that they're not going to be able to go home and beat you up over the dinner table, that, that they're going to, their parents are going to support what's being said at the field house. Then, then I think that's one of the reasons we've been successful. Well, let's let's take this in a little. Let's take this a little step further, and and let me let me spin this on you a little bit, Coach Lucas. Then, so let's talk about this. You you have six man football numbers. You have low numbers. You're in a low socioeconomic. So you you are really where a lot of small school coaches feel like they're at. If if we had twenty small school coaches in here, I feel like they would say exactly what you just said in the sense of we feel like we do these things. But your participation attendance rate, what would you say in, in boys' athletics? You have this many boys in the school. What percentage is uh, participate in athletics for you in your school? It'd be above 80. Yeah. It'd be above 80%. Yeah. 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 So that's what I'm trying to that, – that's what I'm going to try to get at. I'm not disagreeing with what you just said per se. Yeah. I just think what you just said is what most people feel like they're doing. What is that nugget – that got you to 80% because to me, I don't think you can sit there and just say, well, we have standards and we have expectations. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think that's the nugget yeah. to what has set you apart. Okay. Okay. I get you. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I think it is. We, we try to find every kid a role, you know, like we had, a, we had a new family check in and they, they're actually coming to us from water Valley and, and the kids, they're small school people. Uh, the kid didn't even play football at water Valley and he's a small kid, little old skinny thing. And, and his mom said, hey, what do you do with your kids that don't play football? And I said, well, the last two years, we haven't had a single kid not play football. She said, well, I was thinking maybe y'all might have all season because my son doesn't play football. And I said, well, will you be offended if I talk to him? She said, no, but I know his limitations. He's really not a football player. I said, well, you must not have ever seen our team then. Because so what we try to do is just love on those kids and make them feel like they like their presence is important, even if their role is to be a practice player and to maybe play at the end of the game or, you know, be another guy so we can have a sub varsity team, have a JV team. Right. And, and we, and we try to make every one of those roles, those kids feel like they're important. And we try to get our seniors to where they treat those kids with that kind of respect instead of, instead of picking on them or, or, yeah. or whatever that they try to mentor those kids. And so I really feel like that we have a great relationship with our kids and our coaches do a good job of trying to make those kids feel like they, that their role is important, whatever it is. Yeah. I like that. You know, I, I think that, I think for me, Coach Lucas, I think that really drives home a great nugget, uh, and and the time that it takes to to, to build to do that. You know, you, a lot of times we might say something to a kid, but then all of a sudden, you know, we have to we have to repeatedly do that over a, a period of time for that kid to finally be trusting in us to do that, and that takes a lot of time. Yeah, it does. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of time, and and it, and uh, you know and. and so to me, a lot of that's built on trust. That it's not just lip service. You got to you got to follow through with it, and then it's got to happen. And then they trust you, and then also their parents trust you. And a lot of times, those especially those tweener kids, they really you know might not really be a football player, really might not be an athlete. Their kid, their parents are usually really appreciative that you find them a way to be with their peers and all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, as as a guy that's been in in in. Uh, multiple associations and things like that for me you have really excelled in the texas high school coaches association um was it a couple did you talk this year or was that last year at the leadership uh 
Yeah, it, that was uh, it was this the last year. Yeah, I spoke at the yeah. leadership summit last year. And yeah. uh, and so for somebody that has really worked his way up and and so respected from the six A coaches down to the class A coaches, you have so many coaches that sit back there in those chairs in those meeting rooms that have aspirations of of doing that, but are don't know how and are fearful. How have you managed to maneuver your way? Uh, and, and I know aside of just being yourself, what do you feel like something that you've done consciously to to maneuver your way around in the association to the top like you have? Well, it, it wasn't it wasn't planned. You know, I, some of that is just my personality. I, I love to be around people. I love to talk and tell stories. And, and, and um, you know, I just made I have some of my good friends uh, got on the board and and knew me and knew my personality and they said hey we need to get you we need to try to get you on the board and you know in our in our region there's not a lot of the big schools you know you got Abilene High and Cooper and Brownwood and Wichita Falls and San Angelo but then the rest of them are all 2A and 3A schools and so I have a great rapport with coaches I try I try to be amiable and and friendly and and welcoming when people come play here and, and you know at track meets i try to communicate and talk to people so i think i think a little bit was just my personality of trying to befriend everybody that was in our profession I, i'm a huge advocate of our profession i think it's i think there's some of the greatest people in the world are coaches and so i, I think that was part of it and then once i got in the association and 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 you get to be around people, you know. I, I just remember that very first meeting. I sat down. I sat across the table from Sam Harrell and Joey Florence, and you know the guy from Denton Ryan and Ennis. And I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing here? <laughs> but you know, as we as we talk, you know, we're all you know. Sam's a Brownwood guy, and and there's not a nicer guy in the world than Joey Florence, and and you know, and everybody, we kind of get to know each other. And I, I don't really know how to say all that happened except just. Um, you know, I think probably just treating people right and, and, and being in the right place at the right time and, and communicating, being honest and all those things. Yeah. Um, what's a team that you've coached that was just a, a struggling moment for you and that you grew the most as a coach during that time? Maybe that it, it forced you to be more X's and O's or maybe they stressed you more as from a having to manage personality-wise that really helped you to grow. Um, well, I've been in, I've been having 13 years and, and for the last 12 years, we've either played in, we've either won or got second in the district football race. We, we've been in the district championship game 12 years in a row, but wow. about five or six years ago, right in the middle of all that, there was a, there was a group of kids came through here that were, they were pretty challenging and they, and they fought me on every thing we did from, you know, we have a hair policy, we have a dress code, we have attendance policy we have a way we speak to our coaches we have you know i mean just all these kind of and they fought they they bucked me on every item and it's exhausting when you get that when you have that group and it's not a matter of if it's probably when you're going to have that group there it's exhausting and, and it really I, I mean i got down there some of my some of my friends that were in the coaching profession and guys on my staff could tell it was wearing on me and uh i had a couple of guys that just just took you know just flat told me look you got you got to let that go. You got to show up every day and just fight for what you know is right. And and just you don't you're not going to let them win. Even though it's a group of kids and maybe even a group of parents, you got to you again, you've got your standards set. You've got to fight for what's right and it is exhausting. And and so I, that that's probably the time that I grew the most because there were parts of me that were saying just give up, find you another job, move on, you know, they, you've done all you can do here. All of those things I've heard other people say, all of those things went through my mind as a reason I could, you know, drop it, just just drop it and move on. Um, but look what I'd have missed out on if that's what I'd have done. Oh, so I, I yeah, just absolutely. stay the course yeah. and, and get up and fight every morning. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what uh, on this, what is a team that you've coached, and they may even been one of your best teams or may have been one of your worst teams. What is it? What is one of the teams you've coached where you feel you you out coached? The town on the other sideline, the coach on the other sideline, the kids on the other sideline, and it still was a loss for you. It still came up in the loss column, but you you knew you overachieved in every aspect. Well, that game will never I, – I, there's still nights I'll lay and look at my signal and think about this game. It was my very first year at Rotan. Um, 
they had they had only won, you know, one or two games each year prior to me going there. Maybe one year over ten. Anyway, we got there my first year there, and and they, we had a favorable schedule in our district, and we'd gone undefeated in our district in our non district. We had won our first district game, so we were six and zero. We went to Haskell. Uh, we were at Haskell. We scored with a minute and fifty two seconds left to go up twenty eight to fourteen, and uh, man, and we had played our tails off, and uh, we got beat in overtime, thirty five thirty four, and um, you know I. I as far as preparation and the way our kids played up to the to that 152 point, we had, we had beaten them. We'd beaten them soundly. Yeah, we played great defense. That was Brad Brunson was over there. Yeah. That that Haskell team played to the quarterfinals that year. Yeah, I was in we rule. Did, I was in rule at that time. Yeah, we didn't we didn't make the playoffs. We didn't make the playoffs. Oh. They played to the quarterfinals. Um, you know how you lose a game like that. I, I, it, it's, it's a lot of lessons that were learned in that game. But uh, you know, Yogi Berra. You know, it ain't over till it's over. Yeah. Um, play to the finish um anything can happen <laughs> all those kind of things are true because i've lived it in that one game so um what, that, that what coming out of that coming out of that game what are some things that's resonated that's uh maybe changed some play calling for you or thought or thought process during the game so yeah um you know clock management um you know better preparation on it all came down to special teams we we uh we kicked, after we scored that and went up, we kicked off and they ran it back to about the twenty. So you know they mm. gained it, they, yeah. two third, three three quarters of the field in one play, um, and then then they scored onside kick hits right off our face mask. So we you know hadn't prepared for that like we should have, or I had people in the wrong spot. Right. Um, and then in the overtime, we missed an extra point and they didn't. So three special teams plays killed us. So. Because of that, we usually really focus on special teams. We don't overlook, you know, onside kicks either way because that game, that cost us in that game. Uh, personnel, make sure you've got the right personnel out there, you know. Because right when it got down, I thought I had the right people, but I, I remember thinking, oh, God, I hope they don't kick it, <laughs> you know, to that person. Yeah. Because I, I put some people out there that maybe, you know, were seniors, and I thought, well, it's, it's an onside kick team. Just get out there. And, and we don't approach it like that anymore, so – just, can't, just details matter. Yeah, just all the details. Well, we live uh, 14 miles down the road from Santo, and uh, a game that always stands out for the people in the community of Santo. And if I'm wrong, you're gonna have to fix me on this uh, because they they were they remember it way better than I just remember the coffee shop conversations. But 2015 Hamlin versus Santo, uh, Santo kicks a extra point that banks off the upright to go in, sends it into overtime. Tell me a little bit about that game. Yeah, they, you know, I, I, th- I thought they were a bunch of overachievers. That, uh, I can't recall the coach's name there. He, he was at, he was from Stephenville, I think, and went over there. They were, they were a, a fear team. You Randy know, Thornton uh, is that Thornton? Yeah, 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 Randy Thornton. Yeah, I mean they, they're, st- they were good. And their linemen, they were little bitty guys. They weren't very impressive to look at, and they would freaking knife. I mean, just cut you in half. You know, come off the line and. And their backs ran hard, and um, you know we'd played them maybe the year before uh, in the playoffs in the like the mm, regional round or something, uh, or two years before that. But anyway, yeah. Uh, but that particular game came down to overtime, and and they had played their tails off. They they had they had probably beaten us in that game, and uh, then we made a play on the you know, goal line that was right on the pylon. It, you know, I'm sure their, their people probably thought he got in and we thought he didn't and the referee said he didn't. And, um, but that was a hard-fought game. They that Both years we played them, I was I felt like we had a better team than them, but I was scared to death of them because they were so disciplined and yeah. did such a good job. Yeah, they still talk about that. You know, the kid was running to the, towards the right, right front pylon, yeah. uh, had the ball in his right arm, Dives, dives for it. The left shoulder hits the pylon, but the the right shoulder is, where the ball is, is, is out of bounds. Was out of bounds, yeah. and and uh, you know that that was one of those games that I know the community of Santo because my granddad drinks coffee over there every morning. You know they they still talk <laughs> they still talk about that game and uh, things like that. Um, yeah. You 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 told me something a long time ago, and and I now that I have a son that's getting old, you you told me something, and you you I assure you you have forgotten this conversation of having it with me. But I asked you a conversation 
many moons ago about how a parenting and, and a, as, an, as a coach who's trying to raise sons coming through, and obviously you, you've done a phenomenal job with that. And I asked you, you know, I said, give me the best parenting advice and, and a dad being a coach advice. And do you remember what you told me? No. Um, it was about one of your sons. And you told me, don't, because he's a coach's kid, don't make an example out of him. And you told me a story about how you made oh, yeah. uh, an example awful. out of your son. Do you mind telling that story? <laughs> it was bad. Um, well, we had we had discipline problem at, at school. The kids got in a fight. And my son wasn't in the fight, but he was kind of you know in the in the yeah yeah part of it. And and one of one of our kids was going to quit. And and um, and even my son at home, he was there. Well, just just give me legs, Dad. And 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 be an example to everybody. And maybe it'll just be over. So I took the advice of a sixteen year old, <laughs> and and I gave him swats in front of the whole dressing room. And I mean, I tore him up. It was it was so bad that there were kids that were witnessing and that were crying. They didn't even get the swats. <laughs> and um, damn. And and the kid ended up quitting anyway. And and um, you know, I, I used my son as an instrument of of trying to trying to make a point. And and I really think I there could have been I could have damaged our relationship trying to use him as an example. And it was a that was. That's one of my biggest regrets as a dad that day. It was really, really a poor choice on my part. Instead of just dealing with it, but but that's human nature. Or for some people, you know, I, I don't like conflict, so it was easier for me to deal with my son than it was to deal with with all the things around it. And so that was a mistake on my part. So I I do I would recommend to coaches that have their you know coaching their own kids don't 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 use them as a pawn in your in your game. But I will also say that. That I do think that that coaches' kids have to be held to higher standard, um, and I think I think you're doing your kids a disservice, and and you're going to hurt your credibility in the in your community if you don't hold them to to just a little bit higher standard than everybody else because the the assumption is your kids are going to get they're going to get special treatment, right? And so I I, I was a firm, and my kids knew that, and we talked about it. And I, I remember my son played quarterback, my oldest one, and some days he'd, we'd, we'd get the church start home, he'd say, was today one of those days, Dad, that you just had to make an example out of me? <laughs> and, and, you know, because if they messed up, I, you know, because I was hard on everybody, and so I would have to be really hard on them too, sometimes maybe even over the top a little bit, because I just felt like that does hurt your credibility if you don't hold your kids to a high standard. But I think we have to be careful about using them as pawns and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, like we've talked about our, our deal on that of the power of time. So what is, what is the phrase, it's a matter of time mean to you? Well, well, you know, when I hear that phrase, it just, it seems like we would be, if you were to say that you would be saying it about some situation that, that this is, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Um, you know, so sooner or later, I'm going to have to deal with this issue. Um, um, I, I would say that be patient. Um, that's, that's one thing I've, I've probably been consistent throughout what I've said today is that, uh, things are going to happen when they're supposed to, you know, I interviewed for head football jobs for years before I ever got one. And it was the way I got, it was so strange because I really didn't even apply for the one I ended up getting. I'd applied for hundreds and interviewed for dozens. And, um, you know, I felt like it was going to be a matter of time before I became head coach, but. Uh, the timing wasn't right, and and it worked out exactly the way it's supposed to. So, uh, when I hear that phrase, I, I would assume it means something that's probably inevitably going to happen. It's just going to be a matter of time where it happens. And um, you know, I, I'm around kids all all day, every day, and I and I hear kids wishing their life away. Oh, I can't wait till I'm a senior. I can't wait till I get to college and get to leave this town. Or I can, you know, or parents. I'm like, oh, I can't wait till my kids play little league or and be in the moment. Just, just be in the moment, and things will happen at the time they're supposed to. Well, let's ask the pressure question, lad. I think we got I do think we have to ask this. Um, <laughs> it was not on my question list, but I, I do think we have to uh, have to address this and, and bring it out. Uh, Coach Lucas, why don't you tell the audience your preseason number what? <laughs> well, according to Dave Campbell's, they think we're the second best team in the state of Texas. Um. Is that and 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 I've, I've I've worn some of the shoes that we're talking about here. 
if you fall short, still a successful season, or is it ride, ride or bust? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, well, I talk to our coaches all the time. We've got to be careful about what we set as a standard for uh, success. And if it's every bit of that is based on our win-loss column, then I think we're missing the boat. Ah, I, I do agree with you. Yeah. I, I do agree with you. Um, I, I definitely agree with you on that. Explain that a little bit more, though, because there's well, going to be a lot of people who who will establish a gold ball sometimes as the the dictation of a season when you can't predict injuries, you can't predict right. uh, officials. Uh, there's so many unpredictables in the in the yeah. game of football, which is why it's the perfect example of life. Absolutely, it, you know, there, there's so many things that are out of our control in in a, in a game like football. A lot of those you just mentioned. You know, we played in the state championship game this year with the exact same players that we played in the first scrimmage with. I didn't lose a kid all year long. Wow. Um, and so I mean, it just didn't happen. And and so that's huge. Um, you know, we, we go down, we go drive up to uh, Littlefield and play Stratford in about week three or four this year. And I mean, they just beat our lips off. And there wasn't anything we could do about it. They were better than us. We were on our heels the whole night. It just wasn't our night. And sometimes when you're playing with 16, 17 year old kids, that's the case. I've always said that's coach's responsibility to have kids ready to play. But I've also been doing this long enough to know that sometimes I can't put a finger on why that is. There's just some nights it just wasn't your night. Um, the ball bounces the wrong way. Crucial call at the end of a game by an official. Been invo- I've been involved in all of those kind of scenarios. Yeah. And and to play in a state championship game or to win a state championship, you're going to have to have some breaks. You're going to have to have some good fortune. You're going to have to have some talent on your team that all shows up on the same night. So there's a lot of variables there. So what I tell our kids and what I tell our coaches is, we're going to show up. We're going to prepare like we're supposed to prepare. And if we give our best effort on the night that we play and we get beat, well, then congratulations to that other team. And we and, and we can all be comfortable with where, what we've done because we've, we've done our best. But, um, you know, the expectation for our kids and for our community and obviously for a lot of people is that we're going to be back down there. And I hope we are. And I, and I think we've got a team that has the potential to be able to do that again. Yeah. Now, We've got a we've got a booger of a schedule. Our non district schedule has got three top ten teams, and then two county rivals or three county rivals with Anson and Stanford and Hawley on it, and then uh, Winthorpe is in top ten, and um, Albany's in the top ten. Uh, so I mean, we could we could stop our toe a couple of times in our non district schedule. So we've got to we've got to get after it. Well, I know the biggest compliment for me. And one of the main reasons why I moved back home uh, to Gordon is to give a son over to another man to to help educate, teach him life skills, and do those things. And Hamlin, without a doubt, is one of the most luckiest communities to have you as the leader for these for them to hand their sons over to you. And we want to commend you for everything you've done, done for the association, done for the kids of, of, of Hamlin, and uh, and for being on our podcast today. Well, I, man, I appreciate you guys having me. I think y'all, this is a great thing that y'all are doing. If I if I can help you in any way or help anybody that's listening today, I, we don't have any secrets, and we'll sure share whatever we're doing with anybody. And and uh, again, thank y'all for having me, and thank y'all for doing what you're doing. And and he said when he talks about sharing, like he's gonna have a big yeah. bowl of spaghetti <laughs> on on that table that you will be expected to eat. So you better bring a staff of about twenty because. You're, you're, otherwise, two men are going to look at each other and uh, have to eat that bowl. So, uh, in the words of uh, uh, Coach Ladd, uh, why don't you finish, finish us up? Thanks, Coach Lucas. As always, it's been real and it's been fun, but it hasn't been real fun. We'll catch y'all later.